Welcome back to the Eye of the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com. Today we uh, we are joined by Callum McAndrew, our campus correspondent this season. We are uh, we're both in Columbia, not together, doing this over Zoom as usual. Ben Fredrickson sitting this one out. He's uh, he's focused on on Cardinals playoff postseason action coming up. So we're gonna we're gonna talk Mizzou here, Callum. Um, wild one Saturday night. We were both there in the press box for Missouri's. Lost to uh, number one Georgia. I guess now we got to call them number two Georgia because they did slip. So maybe Missouri gets credit for knocking them down one spot in the AP poll. Uh, we're going to spin it forward and talk about Missouri's trip to the swamp and Florida and then kind of everything in between. But just to top things off or to start things off, kick things off, first takeaways from that Georgia game. What did you think? What what really stood out to you from, from that day we had uh, – covering what what was shaping up to maybe be the biggest upset in Mizzou history and it just just didn't didn't finish that way um I, th- I think a lot of the the things we knew about this team sort of rang true for a lot of, a lot of that game um this the, the overarching takeaway is that this is a, a really good Missouri defense that Blake Baker's got them playing really really well yeah. um they, they, they managed to really upset Stetson Bennett's night. Um, they managed to hold off Georgia's really talented wide receivers, they managed to stifle the run game. The tight ends weren't getting quite as much action until sort of the, the second half there. Um, they, this is a, a, a really talented Missouri defense that, that's capable of hanging with the, with the big dogs, with the number one team in the country. Yeah, I thought that was uh, I thought that was really evident. Um, even though when you look, if you just look at the box score and you didn't watch a minute of that game, you might be kind of surprised by the score and how close it was because Georgia did end up with 481 yards of offense. Yeah. Almost all of that, not all of it, but a lot of it came in the fourth quarter when they, you know, Missouri barely touched the ball. I think Missouri only ran nine plays in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So it was uh, it was all Georgia from there, which, you, you know, that's kind of what people expected the first, first three quarters to be like. Um, but I, I kind of want to set the stage, and nobody cares how the sausage is made, but just be- – in the press box, what our game plan was, it was you, it was you me, and Ben Fred. And, um, you know, once it became apparent that Missouri had a really good shot to win this game, so we planned for you. You were going to go down on the field, and you did. You, you spent pretty much the whole fourth quarter down on the field. Uh, you were going to follow wherever the, the mob of fans took those goalposts, if they did indeed take them, whether Harpo's or what. And uh, I'm sure they were going to go enjoy – Chase Daniels' uh, charitable donation uh, at, at Harpo's uh, paid for the bar tab for a couple hours. But you were going to go report on that. Ben and I were going to go to the, the press conferences, and then we were going to try to, you know, chronicle this huge upset uh, of all time. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, we did all meet up in the uh, interview room. But what did you what did you gather from down being down on the sideline there for that entire fourth quarter to see it all unfold? It was pretty unique setting. We don't get enough chances to go down there because we're so consumed with writing about the game and getting stories up online. So I'm I'm glad you got to go down there and kind of experience it firsthand. Yeah, that was um, that was a a really bright idea on my part to to try and go <laughs> cover where the uh, where the free beer was flowing. That was that, that was it was about journalism, nothing else. Um, but no, I got, got to go down. I think I went down sort of midway through the third quarter. Um, one of the first things I saw was, was Mookie Cooper catching that, that long ball from Brady. And at yeah. that point, and then a few minutes later, Harrison Evis puts them 10 points up. Um, 
just a really interesting experience being down there. I mean, it's, it's the first time I've, I've covered a game field side and uh, since I've started covering Missouri. Uh, and just just that the press box, you miss out on a lot of stuff. You you know yeah. you, you know those those soundproof windows. You don't quite quite capture what's what's going on down there. You know, I saw uh, Brady Cook's mother was you know shouting and cheering from the stands and fist pumping and then, then you you know you're running around to the other side to, to go and catch the, the the ends of drives and in front of the student section when Mevis's 56 yarder went through and you know just getting those that the the relief the the gasps the the screams the you know just catching that in the moment while you're while potentially the biggest upset in I would say probably Missouri history was was unfolding it was a, a a really interesting experience a really enjoyable experience as well um but you know there was always the sense once george started getting it together that you know you could feel almost the tension growing you could you know cheers were a little bit more a uh, relief than they were exultants i think <laughs> as soon as that when that fourth quarter started coming around yeah that's kind of when reality set in uh, missouri in the second half offensively just oh five 5 on third down they just seem to kind of lose their that big play ability that they had. And a lot of that probably had to do with Dominic Lovett not being out there with the lower leg, ankle injury, whatever we're calling it. Just had to settle for too many field goals, obviously. Uh, and for a while, that was enough, you know, because Mavis couldn't miss. Yeah. Um, but they just they just could not get anything going. Uh, in the fourth quarter alone, I mean, Georgia outscored Missouri 14 to three. The yardage was 185 to 30. It was really one-sided. And again, that's kind of what people expect the whole game to be like. So mm -hmm. um, just to condense it down to one quarter was is, is why Missouri was at least in position to win that game. Um, the big plays, I was looking at some of the kind of advanced numbers. Um, big plays and, and defining those by runs of 10 yards or longer, passes of 15 yards or longer. Missouri had six. That's not bad against Georgia's mm -hmm. defense. Georgia had 14. Like, they, they oh, really started – uh, moving the ball in the fourth quarter. They're all, their top three running backs all average between five and almost eight yards a carry. Uh, so as strong as Missouri was defensively at the beginning of the game, they did just sort of run out of juice there mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter. And that's not, a, that's not to say they lost the game. I think the game was more lost on the offense's inability to sustain drives and punch in touchdowns. But, um, yeah, that was – if, if you're Missouri's defense, you come away thinking, gosh, you played three great quarters or two and a half great quarters and you just couldn't finish. But still, I think I think you walk away from that feeling pretty good about Missouri's ability to have a defense now. And that can keep you in more games than what we've seen, obviously what we saw last year. And then, uh, you know, even the, the first half of this season, the Kansas State game, you think if they just played sound defense from start to finish, they're, they can be more competitive there. And then obviously at Auburn, they got off to a slow start defensively and then came on strong. So um, it'll be interesting to watch, see if that kind of keeps up that pattern uh, or which pattern keeps up the slow starts or the fast starts. And, and that's like so interesting going back to, to last year as well, where you look at sort of those, those one score games like Kentucky yeah. or, or Boston college, where they were needing to score three, four, five touchdowns to just to stay in it, just to make yeah. it competitive going into the fourth quarter. I don't think that's the case anymore. Uh, you know, even if this offense is stalling a little bit, which, you know, you look at things like, I think they only had 14 first downs against Georgia to Georgia's 28. And Georgia didn't have a first down in their first four series, I don't think. Um, yeah. 
you know, the, the, while the offense is stalling, the, the defense is going to keep them in more games than it loses <laughs> loses them games. So that's that'll be interesting going into the sort of the final seven games of this this season. Yeah, for sure. And you know, against that defense, Brady Cook he started the game thirteen of fifteen passing the ball, and at one stretch completed ten out of eleven. But again, that's when he had love it. Uh, when when Dominic wasn't there for the second half. Uh, you still had Luther Burden out there. Mookie Cooper, you mentioned, I thought he had his best game or one of his best games. Uh, where, what has happened to Toski Dub? Like, where is this guy? He's playing more snaps than any receiver on the team. In Missouri's last three games, he has two catches for seven yards. I, I just don't – I don't know what's happened to him. Uh, him and, and Cook have just not – and it's not for necessarily lack of targets. They are throwing him the ball. But for whatever reason uh, – it's just not there. I thought he would benefit from Luther Burden's presence, thinking that defenses would pay a little bit more attention to Burden and love it and not to Dove. And, man, he's just gone missing. It's, it's been kind of crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, they look at Missouri and they, they really have an overabundance of, of slot receivers. Yeah. Um, and, they, you know, you look at Toski, I think he's the tallest receiver that they have at the moment. Um, you know, and they just – he just isn't quite able to get that step, it seems. He does I don't think I've seen him a yard ahead of a of coverage, all, you know, for the past three games, really. Um, it's, 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 I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Yeah, it's a little strange. Um, and again, it's almost like, it almost feels like nitpicking when you're talking about how Missouri played offensively against that defense because they, they shouldn't right. see another defense that good the rest of the year. Kentucky's is, is good. Tennessee's is better. Um, other than that, off the top of my head, I mean, South Carolina is not playing very good defense. Florida, we'll get to. They're not playing very good defense. Arkansas is a mess right now. Uh, so if you can come out of that game, moving the ball some with some explosive plays, Cody Schrader ran it pretty well. Even outside of that 63-yard run, he had, I think he averaged close to five yards a carry. Um, Nate Pete, those guys got to take turns on who's going who's gonna to be the better back each week. Uh, I, I think you can come away with that feeling okay. It still goes back to that penalties again. Offensive line penalties continue to haunt this team. Uh, and then just inability to, you know, get third downs. They're, they're really bad on third down this year. They're also really bad in the red zone. Uh, in that game, Mevis's field goals were outside of the red zone for the most part. They didn't even get there. I think they only got the red zone twice. Uh, it's just something that they sit – the situation of football on offense has not been – uh, very efficient at all. And that's something that they really need to clean up if they're going to salvage the season, I think. There seems to be a, a hesitancy to run the ball as well. Just going yeah. back to, to, I mean, against Georgia, it was only 21 rushing attempts. When you look back, I mean, Beatty himself last season was was carrying the ball more than that. Um, yeah. You know, and when you're going up against someone as talented as Georgia and having some success with that, I think Pete and Trader both, both had pretty decent averages at the end of that game. Uh, an interesting decision not to not to run the ball more yeah I am too I'm too we'll see and I, I think fans really want to see some uh some runs and uh you know on that on that what ended up being Missouri's last drive Drinkwitz explained the reasoning afterwards it was kind of like a, a basketball strategy you want to go two for one there and he, he felt like the the clock was their biggest enemy besides just being down four so you throw three times to to save time so if you don't get a first down, at least you didn't, you know, take much time off the clock and it sets you up to get another possession at the end of the game. So in a way, he's kind of complimenting his defense or at least trusting his defense to get the stop. Um, 
hindsight, the execution wasn't there and it didn't work and they never did get that other possession. So I wasn't, I wasn't like thinking it was the worst decision ever, but it put all the pressure on cook and the receivers and those guys without love, it just weren't getting it done. So and that's it, how that went shook out. Yeah. At the same time, you're looking at a Georgia offense that was licking its chops at that point, you know, I mean, yeah. they were, um, this, um, handing not handing them a possession but increasing the chances that they get a chance to run out the clock maybe maybe in hindsight they would they would do something different there. yeah yeah and and georgia certainly did uh they they finished that up all right so let's how should we look at this game does it i've always kind of been the believer that there's there's not a whole lot of carryover from one week to the next when you're talking about college football players you can get on a run but I don't, I don't, I never think it's right to expect to see one result kind of duplicate itself the next week because there's so many other factors at play here: matchups, the psychology, how these kids respond. Um, you know, you just don't really, you can never really expect to see one thing happen the next week as far as just performance goes. But should fans be a little bit more optimistic about the second half of the season based on what they saw against Georgia? Or was that sort of lightning in a bottle? Did, did Missouri just come out and play a really good first half against a good team and maybe catch Georgia on a bad day? Uh, or is there something you can build on here? What, what do you think going forward? I think there's a lot they can build on here. Um, you know, there's, I, I agree with you that there's things you can't take from week to week, just all the variables that you mentioned there. But five weeks of similar patterns, I think you can take a lot away from that. I think the defense has had five good games. Um, you know, obviously had the week one problems going deep against La Tech. Right. Um, against Kansas State, they had a good game apart from being put on the field. 10 times in that second half, you know, back to back to back. Yeah. Um, and then after that, three very, very solid performances. I think that's encouraging. Um, similarly, on offense, I think the same problems are still kind of haunting them. Um, so you could maybe look at that as a, a kind of a five-week habit. Um, whether that was a flash in the pan, we'll see. Um, I, I, I would say that there's plenty to be encouraged about, though, going into not light or schedule, but, but right. going into some winnable games. Yeah. I, I, I want to see what happens with some of these injuries too, with love it situation. Absolutely. They're saying he's 50, 50 for Saturday's game at Florida. Same for uh, Chris Abrams drain, who is, I think is their best cornerback. You know, Ennis Rakestraw has done some good things this year, but I, I still, I think Abrams drain is their best guy. Sure. And maybe this is a game where you can get away without having him because Florida doesn't throw it very well, but uh Still one of their best defensive players, Chad Bailey, too, who I think has kind of, you know, round himself into a pretty good SEC linebacker. You'd, you'd like to be full strength there. Uh, so those are those are more variables you just can't necessarily control. And the, the penalties, too. I do think it's kind of strange uh, if you look for the season splits, and it's not a huge body of work. They average more penalties, more penalty yards at home than they do on the road. So I don't think it's necessarily a, an atmosphere thing. Um I think it may be just kind of situational and circumstances. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Drinkwitz said this week they're they're really analyzing Brady Cook's inflection with his cadence to see if that's causing some of the linemen to flinch on some of these false starts. Maybe there's something to look at there. Uh, so maybe, it, you know, obviously it's on the linemen. You can't jump, but maybe there's something that, that Cook can do to help out there a little bit too 
in practice. Um, the holding penalties, legal hands to the face, those things, obviously you got to clean up. Those are drive killers. And we've, we've seen those in bunches this year, but yeah, I'm with you. I, th I think there's things to build on uh, for sure. And as long as, as long as that defense didn't come out of that game thinking, okay, we've got this figured out. We're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They can't get complacent. You know, you can't, you can't walk away from a four point loss to Georgia and, and, and feel like you've got it made <laughs> because you haven't, you haven't actually accomplished anything yet. <laughs> you've just played well for stretches. Yeah. So uh, I think this Florida game is, is, is a really good test to see how they recover from a tough loss, but also kind of recapture the things that went well. And I'll tell you what, and maybe it's just a coincidence, the Florida game over time has been kind of cathartic for Missouri for whatever reason. You know, a few years ago, they had this terrible loss to Kentucky at home on a very uh, controversial last play. They got an untimed down. Kentucky did after a, a bad no call in the end zone on a pass interference, offensive pass interference it should have been. And then Kentucky wins on the last play, and Missouri was just – it was a gut punch. It, it was very similar to the Auburn game a couple weeks ago. And then they went the next week as underdogs at Florida and Drew Locke played the game of his life and they win that game. Uh, you think about last year's game, you know, they, they'd come off of a win over South Carolina, but still, you know, they were running out of chances to get ball eligible. They beat Florida in overtime. And then going way back, 2014, Georgia came to Missouri, stomped the Tigers 34 to nothing. Matty Mock, I think, threw five interceptions. Just a dreadful, dreadful day. The next week they go down to the swamp and just a completely different team. They, they dominated Florida. They had a bunch of punt returns and interception returns, uh, had a great day on defense, contributed to Will Muschamp eventually getting fired a couple of weeks later. So for whatever reason, the Florida game has come at a good time and, and historically in this decade in the SEC – and, and the Tigers have – the series is even. It's 5-5 five to five in the SEC. 6-5, to five, Missouri leads all time. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm, we'll talk about Florida a little bit more, but I think this could be a, a really pivotal swing. And if Missouri plays well and wins, you know, we could look back on it and say, okay, they've figured things out. They've, they've turned these games they can't finish into something positive now with, with, the, with the road win if they can, they can pull it off. Yeah, I, um, looking ahead as well, I mean, there's nothing about Florida that screams that this is an unwinnable matchup either. Yeah. They, they have, you know, flattered to deceive, I think, a little bit in that the Utah game. And then from since then, really kind of stagnated a little bit. Um, yeah. They look like a team that's led by a first-year coach that's still trying to figure things out, and that's exactly what they are with Billy Napier. Uh, they had that great win week one over Utah. I had Utah as a playoff team. I, I thought they were going to roll through the Pac-12 and win and open up with a big win at the Swamp. And then Anthony Richardson was just outstanding. I think he was everybody's Heisman favorite through the first week of the season. And then he then he started looking more like a rookie starter. You know, he, he, he struggled with turnovers. I don't think he threw a touchdown pass until their fourth game. It seemed like they couldn't figure out if they wanted him to run or if they wanted him to be a pocket passer or if he wanted to be more of a pocket passer, if he wanted to get out and run more. And then the Tennessee game, they lost. Florida loses, but he puts up over 500 yards of offense, bunch of touchdowns, got back to being more of a playmaker. Uh, so I'm not quite sure which Anthony Richardson Missouri is going to see or if they can kind of dictate that and 
kind of control it. I don't think they're going to blitz him 18 times like they did Stetson Bennett just because <laughs> you expose yourself to big runs if he can find a lane and, and get past it. Um, but this is a this should be a really good test for Missouri's defense. Again, very different kind of quarterback than Stetson Bennett. Um, but you know, a very good offensive line Florida has. So they're they're gonna you're gonna have to get off blocks, make some plays. What what about Florida's offense to you kind of stands out? Do you think could be you know a big challenge or, or a big opportunity for Missouri? Oh, I, th- I think I mean it all lives and dies with with Anthony Richardson. I would say uh, um, you know Missouri has over the past couple of seasons really struggled with with containing uh, Russian quarterbacks quarterbacks that that, that have got legs. Um, you look at that. One thing I found interesting from this week was was Darius Robinson's analogy on how to deal with deal with this and what they're sort of looking at going into this week. The the analogy of the well, um, trying to keep trying to keep these Russian quarterbacks in this this sort of circle behind the line. Um, it, it's the sort of insight that we haven't really had so far from from any Missouri players about how how they're going to deal with with these talented players, with these different players, unique players. Um, so I, I thought that was that was something interesting to hear from them there. Yeah, for sure. And you know, on, on also Missouri's defense, you know, the Tyron Hopper is a big storyline, and you're writing about that this week. Yep. You know, spent his first three years at Florida, um, was coming along, you know, developing as a as a starter, played his best game last year at Missouri, then transfers and comes to Missouri after his cousin Tyrone transferred from North Carolina to Missouri. And now he looks like an all SEC linebacker. I mean, he'd be on my first half ballot uh, for sure. And uh, so you got to wonder what's going on in his head. Is, is this going to elevate his play? Is he going to, you know, have a little bit too much going on between the ears playing his old teammates? Is that going to be weird for him back at the swamp? Uh, I, I don't know. We don't know him very well. We've only talked to him a couple of times, but I don't get the sense that it's going to rattle him. He seems like a pretty driven guy that's just going to, go out there and play hard doesn't say a whole lot um but he's man he's been a difference maker for this defense he, he really has been what what's been your thoughts in the first five games of, of tyron hopper i mean far and away the most talented linebacker that, that i've seen since i started covering missouri um just, you know, just the ability to do what blake baker wants this this defensive front to do um he's, he's quite simply the best at it he's he is he's fast he's physical he Manages to get my guys a, a really, really, really impressive linebacker, um, and seems very even keeled. Anytime we've talked, you know, uh, this week just talking about the upcoming Florida game, um, like we say, he doesn't say a whole lot, but that maybe just a sign of focus. Um, he, you know, I think Baker said that the two of them talked about this, and and his quote was something like "nameless, faceless opponent." So you know, um, doesn't seem doesn't seem too put off by the the gravity of the situation. Yeah, this is probably in the transfer portal era. This is probably going to happen more often, but it is, it is weird to think that, you know, he was on the field in 2020 at Florida against Missouri when they had that halftime brawl. (laughs) Um, And I want to say he had some role in it. I don't know if he was one of the suspended players, but he was out there. And then a year later, he's playing for Florida at Missouri in the game that went to overtime and Eli does his lightsaber gag afterwards and Dan Mullen gets fired the next day. And then here he is now, you know, back again in this game, but now he's playing for Missouri going back to the swamp. It is just, this will become more common, I guess, in the portal era. And it's probably happened with other players around the SEC, but 
it's it's just so odd. It's just not something we're used to seeing. It's kind of like when Mark Smith um, played for basketball, played for Missouri, and then played against Illinois in the bragging rights game. And after playing for Illinois against Missouri in the bragging rights game, it's just uh, it's 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 what we're that's what we're seeing now in this portal era. And I guess it'll get more common eventually, but this one is just weird to me. And it's, I mean, it's astounding to how fast it can turn a team around as well. We just case in point, Missouri's defense, you look at Christian Williams, who's come in and, uh, you know, Jaden Jernigan, these guys, and then Tyron Hopper. I mean, you're just getting these oven ready players, you know, that are just, that are good to go as soon as they get here. You're not taking as much of a gamble as, as, as you are on true freshmen. Um, it's really interesting how fast it can turn an entire team around. Yeah, and, and you may not get him for very long either. I mean, right. Tyron Hopper is draft eligible this year, and the way he's playing right now, I mean, I'd, it'd be great for Missouri if he comes back next year, but um, he, he, does, he, he looks like a guy that's not going to be long for college football just the way he's playing right now. Um, looking at, George, at Georgia, looking at Florida's defense, uh, they've got some good players for sure, guys that have been around there for a while. Ventrell Miller's a really good linebacker. Brenton Cox, good pass rusher. Their numbers, though, pretty rough. They are last in the SEC against the run. Uh, their pass defense, I believe they're 12th in the SEC as far as just giving up yards. Not very good on third down uh, right now. You know, I thought their defense kind of wilted some in the uh, Kentucky game in the, in the second half. Uh, so we'll see, uh, you know, if, if Missouri's offense can kind of get it together a little bit. You know, Brady Cook played okay in his first SEC road start at Auburn. You know, it certainly wasn't his fault they, they lost the game. He When he left the field, they had a chance to, uh, you know, win it with the field goal and then hands off a couple times to Nate Pete and have a chance to win it in overtime. Um, but it's going to be, you know, his first time playing in Gainesville. And uh, this defense, though, I think Missouri should be prepared for because it's a very similar defense to what, Billy Napier ran at Louisiana Lafayette when, of course, Drinkwitz was also in the Sun Belt for one year. They coached against each other, and Drinkwitz was 2-0 and against the Raging Cajuns. So um, what, what are you kind of looking at as far as Missouri's offense? Uh, as recording this, we don't know the status of Lovett, if he'll be listed as doubtful, questionable, or whatever. But um, what do you think about this unit against Florida? Yeah, that, I mean, that's obviously going to be the huge question is, is whether, whether Dominic Lovett's fit. I mean, the offense is – totally lived and died with him through through five games. Um, I don't know if, I don't think, is he still leading the SEC in receiving yards? Yeah, yards and catches. Still, that too. Okay, well, um, you know, it, just the connection that, that Brady Cook is, is uninspiring as, as the first five games have been, that, that connection has been cause for optimism, cause for hope. Um, beyond that, it'll be interesting to see how they vary it up a little bit. Um, you know, whether they they use Nate Pete and Cody Schrader more against a, a struggling defensive line, um, whether they manage to get a little bit more production out of guys like that we've mentioned, Toski Dove, Luther Burden, um, in, in the case that Lovett is, is absent. Um, it, it's just it's difficult to tell when they haven't really done a whole whole bunch of, of anything else other than going to, to Lovett on offense. It's, it's all been a little bit flat so far through five games. Yeah, I, I think this is a game where Missouri can – do some damage on the ground. Just looking at what Florida's done this year, Utah had a big game, run, big game running the ball, about six yards of carry. South Florida ran for almost 300 yards on them. Tennessee had some success running the ball. Now, Kentucky didn't, but Kentucky, that was before 
Uh, Kentucky got Chris Rodriguez back, and their offensive line has been a mess so far. But otherwise, you know, Florida's been pretty vulnerable uh, on the ground. And, you know, I'm sure Eli would love to be able to give it to his running backs and trust those two guys and get the job done. I, I don't know if we'll, uh, we'll see it, but uh, I think there's a chance there. And maybe control the game a little bit more, compress it down like he tried to against Georgia, limit the, you know, limit possessions for Florida and for Anthony Richardson and protect his defense a little bit. But uh, I think it's an interesting kind of chess match. And just to see how, again, Blake Baker takes this really aggressive defense. Do you dial it back, though, against a guy like Richardson who can make you pay if you if you blitz him a bunch? Uh, especially, you know, third down, red zone, things like that situation. I, situational football is, I think, going to be really critical in this game. It is every week, but I, I especially think in this game against these two teams. Yeah, this, I mean, it, it seems on paper pretty evenly matched up to me. I think the, the spreads at, at 10, that feels like yeah. it's on Missouri a little bit this week. Yeah, and I, th I think that part of that's just Missouri's inability to win on the road right. and struggles on the road and going back on the road now, even though they've been close the last couple weeks. I have not we're recording this on Wednesday morning. I've not formulated my prediction yet. I'm kind of leaning towards picking Missouri to win this game. I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm drinking the Georgia Kool-Aid, but um, I'm just not sold on Florida. I think they're very up and down. They played Sunday, so they, they lost a day of preparation because of, uh, you know, just having to prepare uh, for the uh, the weather, the hurricane that came last week. Fortunately, it, it didn't do much damage in Gainesville, but they did move the game just out of a precaution. They played an FCS team, so it was, you know, no sweat there. But uh, I'm kind of leaning towards Missouri. I just think things are lining up for them right now. Um, if you lose, though, you're 0-3 going into your bye week in conference play, and now you're really, really struggling to find where you can get four more wins to be bowl eligible. I just – I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, it's possible, but I'm not sure it's probable at that point. Uh, yeah. And just with the nature of the schedule as well, um, having to go to Knoxville, having to go to Columbia, South Carolina, yep. um, not, not where you want to leave yourself really. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I'm also kind of leaning towards Missouri on this one. Um, I think if we're, if we're looking at what was more lightning in a bottle, I would say it was the Kansas, the offensive performance at Kansas state. Yeah. They've shored up. Some of those egregious errors on offense um, compared to defense, which has been a lot more consistent. I think they'll hang around uh, in games that they don't perform well offensively more than they'll play themselves out of games that they don't play well defensively. I, I, that's, I think that's the – I don't see them being far away in, in any of the, the, the remaining games this season. Yeah, so, yeah, that's just – it goes back to, you know, one game two quarters, three quarters, can can it change your outlook on the rest of the year? I think we also, too, we know more about other teams. You know, Arkansas's defense under Barry Odom is really struggling right now. Um, Tennessee looks like a legit top 10 team. Um, Kentucky is is maybe not what they have been. They've been struggling on offense. Um, South Carolina, I you know, I'm just not blown away by Shane Beamer's team right now. I think he's doing a good job with recruiting. You know, kind of some similarities to what Trinkwitz is doing right now. Just on the field, they're not really getting it done in SEC play. So, but like you mentioned, that game is on the road, and it's always a little harder to play on the road, as uh, as Missouri may discover at the Swamp on Saturday. I will be there. Um, I'll be solo this week, but we'll have lots of coverage uh, starting, you know, today, tomorrow, the rest of the week. Uh, then Missouri gets a bye. We'll, at some point, we'll start 
talking and writing a little bit more about basketball, but for now it's, it's all football and uh, Missouri goes back to the swamp where they have had some success in the past. Not always, but they have won some games down there and we'll see if they can do it again. Any, any last thoughts, Callum, on your, uh, on today's pod? Ooh, last thoughts. Um, we haven't mentioned Harrison Mebus. That was, we have not. We should. We should, <laughs> we should. We should throw something in there. That was, that was quite impressive. Five for five. And those weren't chip shots. I mean, he had four that were beyond 40 yards, two beyond 50. And he did it with some swagger, too. Oh, um, his kick, did a little strut. Uh, he was feeling it. So I think, uh, you know, I think of the line from Dumb and Dumber, you, you, you totally redeem yourself. And he absolutely <laughs> did. Um, nobody's talking about the practice kicks. Nobody's talking about <laughs> – um, the thicker kicker's physique. Nobody's talking anything bad about him when he goes five for five and pretty much was the offense. So credit to him for bouncing back. Uh, I, I, I thought he would. Um, I, I'm sure Eli Drinkwitz thought he would, but you never really know. So, yeah, great point. Bring up Harrison Mevis, a guy who is just uh, – he's a machine, man. He, yeah. he really is. And he's uh, it's fun to watch him celebrate like that because there's – the guy is so confident. Um, you know that – that miss is going to sit with him for a while or, or maybe not. Maybe he's just so, maybe he's just so strong mentally that, that he got over it pretty quickly. I don't know. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, all credit to him. He came out after the, immediately after the Auburn game on that Tuesday, I think it was, um, and, and came out and spoke and, and yeah. talked, you know, I mean, that's not everybody would do that. That's, that's, that's all credit to him for that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, uh, in this day and age when we only get a few players a week, and Missouri does a decent job. We get more than, than most teams in the SEC get as far as players go uh, to get somebody come out, want to talk after a really rough game, credit to Harrison. And then especially for forget talking to us idiots credit for going out there in, in such a big game and, and knocking down those kicks from 52 and 56 yards, man, that was a, uh, that was impressive on a day where they needed every single one of those points and probably a few more too. Yeah. And that, that 56 yarder, I was throwing that I was down on the field. I was right underneath that as well. And uh-huh. I think that would have been good from 61, 62. It was a, that was a, that was a leg on that one. Incredible. Incredible. He is the thicker kicker. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We want to remind our listeners, please check us out at stltoday.com slash podcast, or you can find the eye on the tigers podcast and all the other podcasts by our uh, stltoday.com reporters. Also, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If so, please give us a rating and a comment. Those ratings make it easier for more fans, more listeners, more readers to find the Eye on the Tigers podcast. This week, we uh, I'm going to Florida. That's right. I'm trying to figure out what week it is. What is it? It's Wednesday. Go to Florida on Friday. Okay. Tigers play on Saturday at the Swamp. I will be there. Uh, I want to thank Callum McAndrew for joining us this week on the pod. For Callum, I'm Dave Matter. We'll talk to you next time.